What's up, everybody? So before I start this podcast, I just want to tell everyone how excited I am that Quasar version 2 is now out. By the time you listen to this podcast, I try to do some um, podcasts ahead of time. Uh, so it might have been out for, I don't know, maybe like four or five days by now. But I am super excited. Go check it out if you haven't already. And hey, if you listen to this podcast and you haven't checked out um, Quasar, then now is definitely the time to do it. And also, I'm working on a Getting Started series. By the time this podcast is out, it'll almost certainly be released. So check out quasarcast.com slash register if you want to learn Quasar version 2. This Getting Started series is for Quasar version 2. So you can learn it from the ground up. And maybe tell your friends, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, um, that there's a resource out there that they can go check out if they want to learn Quasar version 2. Uh, by the way, Quasar version 2 uses View 3 under the hood. So we get all that composition API goodness out of the box, being able to have multiple root components, all that sort of good stuff. So I'm really, really excited. Anyway, um, today I want to talk to you about getting it right the first time. And let me just backtrack a little bit and give a bit of a story behind how I learned this lesson and how it doesn't always apply. And there's a lot of times where you might want to break it, especially if you're new. Anyway, um, I remember when I first started learning classical piano at university. Um, for those of you that don't know, I used to be a classical pianist. Uh, I started off with a really bad teacher. And this teacher used to get me to play things really fast. And he was always pushing me to like play things fast. And he's like, hurry up and learn how to play it faster. It's always faster, 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 faster. And that was the mentality. And I think the reason he taught like that is because he learned as a kid. And he probably forgot how he learned as a kid. And that, you know, there was probably, he probably had to take things a lot slower as a kid. And then he gradually got older and became more impatient. But his technique was then good enough to play fast enough. I don't know. That's just a guess. I don't actually know why he taught this way, but it was terrible and turned me into a really tense and bad pianist. I played horribly, I made mistakes all the time, and it was just an awful period of my life. I used to go home, I used to go home and just sit in my room, like just jump straight into the bed after a piano lesson, and I would just cry and cry for like half an hour, and then get up and then go to the piano room, and then just say to myself, Luke, get over it, and just start practicing. And I'd practice some more, and it was just a disaster. So anyway, he didn't focus on getting things right the first time. He could already get things right the first time because he had amazing technique. But for me, when he was teaching me, it wasn't about get it right the first time. It was about play it fast the first time. Just play it fast. I mean, he wanted me to get the notes right as well, but it's like just be able to do everything all at once the first time. And I just got overwhelmed and it turned me into a terrible pianist. Then later on, I met this guy called Mark Coughlin. Uh, he's from Perth in Western Australia. This is where I was studying musical, um, where I was studying piano at a university called Whopper. Um, so Mark Coughlin was a phenomenal music teacher. He taught me how to learn. He taught me the finer skills of learning. And one of the most important things he taught me, and I put this above my um, door so that every time I left to go to university, I would see it. And it was get it right the first time. And that meant that if you had to slow things down, if you had to um, make sure that, I, I don't know, if you had to like, um, 
get change the tempo of things. So the tempo goes really fast, and so you have to change the tempo so that you're hitting the right notes and playing it with the right sound. If you had to do any of that, um, basically make it easier yourself. If you had to play smaller sections, so if you had to cut an entire bar in half, or cut a bar into a quarter and practice just a quarter of a bar so that you could get it right the first time, that's what was important. And he wanted you to play the right notes with the right sound and the right technique and it had to be musical. They were his rules. They were his tenets, right? Um, and as long as you were doing those things correctly, that's what he meant by getting it right the first time. It did not mean playing things fast. It meant making things sound beautiful, making sure the notes were correct, making sure... My old teacher, he didn't even care if the notes were right, actually, in hindsight. He was like, it doesn't matter about the notes, just like keep playing, just keep going, kind of thing. But yeah, Mark Hoggan was absolutely amazing, and he taught me the finer arts of playing piano and how it was important to just calm down, practice calm, slow it down, and make sure you're hitting the right notes and making a beautiful musical sound and then you will actually be able to speed it up faster than you know it, and which turned out to be absolutely true. So he was a phenomenal teacher. And I can't even tell you how much this has helped me with learning computer programming, with coding. In fact, um, I often catch myself breaking this rule and just trying to code things fast. Um, by, the, by the way, there is a caveat to that, which we'll go back to in a second. But especially when you've got deadlines and when work is kind of pushing for you to get things done, I'm kind of lucky that I work at a job where we don't have many deadlines. But when we do, I can feel my code quality kind of depleting. Um, and then I often have to go back and kind of fix my code, which ends up costing me more time. And so especially with larger projects, it's really important that you put some thought into your abstractions, that you put some thoughts into what could go wrong in one, two, or three years' time. Um, now, you don't want to sit there. You don't want to be a donkey. If you don't know what I mean by that, then look up Don't Be a Donkey by Derek Sivers. Um, but you don't want to be a donkey. You don't want to um, do nothing and paralyze yourself by overanalyzing things. But for the most part, you want to make sure you're coding things great the first time. And I'll give you some examples of this. Um, one example is making sure you handle errors. If you get errors from the back end, or um, if there's a chance that you could get an error in your code, which you know there always is when you're you know, trying to make a request, um, dealing with errors and sending them to the user or sending them to your back end, whatever you do to handle errors and log files and that kind of stuff, making sure that that stuff is correct from the beginning. That's really important um, to me. Uh, another thing is making sure that your policies are correct. Okay, this might seem like an obvious one, but it's often left behind. Making sure that a user that's going to trying to create a post, for example, can create a blog post. Like if it's a blog post and they're not the person that owns the website, they shouldn't be able to create a blog post. And it's amazing how many people um, forget to write their policies, right? And this comes into that rule of get it right the first time. But this, this sort of comes into a larger concept, which I'm going to talk about now. It's um, the idea that you need to constantly be looking for ways, and this is what I found for myself, I constantly need to be learning about um, how to do quality abstractions, right? And what I've come to learn is that you need to learn a lot of the ins and outs of view, things like provide and inject. I remember first seeing provide and inject and thinking this is stupid, this is completely irrelevant to my life and ignoring it. Rather than looking up reasons you might actually need provide and inject, like for building your own plugins. 
So that's um, one example of when knowing the framework can help you notice these patterns so that you can get it right the first time. Understanding reactivity in view at a deeper level so that you can get it right the first time rather than just blindly playing around with things and going, oh, it's working now, so I'm going to move on. No, making sure you understand how it works so that your acti- especially when you're using the composition API, so that your, your act- reactivity is going to work properly. I'll give you an example of this actually that I discovered recently. Um, sometimes when you're accepting, um, oh, what's a good, uh, what was this example? Okay, imagine you've got uh, a to-do list item and inside of that to-do list item is an input field where you can actually update the name of the to-do list. So using the composition API, you might um, have a reference to an input value under the hood there and then when that input value, uh, when you when you've um, finished like unfocus when you unfocus the input field, for example, I'm not doing a great job exp- explaining this, but when you unfocus the input field for that to do, it will then send a request to the back end, and then update in your store that input value. Right. And now the problem that I had with this is that from if you change that value from the outside world like from the store itself, then it wouldn't update within that input. Okay, because the input had its own version of the value, then when it updated in the store, it didn't update in that input field. I hope that I didn't totally butcher that. But um, basically the point I'm making is I needed to also watch the property that was being passed into that field. In this case, it was a to-do. So I wanted to make sure I was watching that property and when the title of that updated, it also updated the local um, title. So, okay, I'm, I think I did a terrible job explaining that, which is, you know, bad because I'm a teacher. So <laughs> maybe I should have made sure that I got that explanation right before I did this podcast. So there's another example of where I should be getting it right the first time, maybe. Yeah, but anyway, so understanding the languages that you're working with, understanding how you can use those features to create better abstractions, to be able to create higher quality code um, that is more malleable in the future is really, really, really important for larger projects. All right, so now I wanna take um, another step back here and then tell you that I want you to ignore everything that I just said if you're new to programming. If you're new to coding, you want to learn about these concepts and you do wanna dig deeper into reactivity and all of that, but you wanna spend a lot of time making mistakes. In the first one or two years, I think it is so important that you are constantly breaking things, making mistakes, screwing up. And honestly, even if you're a more advanced programmer, um, sometimes you wanna start like a new project and just um, stub it out, I guess is the, the right way of saying it. Where you just get the feature working, you just kind of mess around doing a proof of concept just to kind of have fun, get into a flow state, build something that feels good. You know, even if it's a bit of a mess, you just wanna get that good feeling of that you can get the thing to work, right? You might have this cool concept that you just wanna like prove to yourself you can get done. In that case, absolutely ignore everything I'm saying right here. Getting it right the first time is completely irrelevant in that scenario and this is exactly like improvising with music you can't get it right the first time when you're improvising you just have to let it go man you just gotta be like it's all good um if i make mistakes who cares we're just gonna move on i can't go back and correct my mistake or anything like that um and same with when you're doing a performance like you can't 
from there on in, you've got to stop thinking about getting it right the first time. It's all about the flow. It's all about just enjoying it. So there has to be like a bit of give and take here with the really serious stuff, with the projects that you're going to be working on for the next 5, 10, 15 years of your life, or if you're working on a project that is going to be alive for the next 5, 10, 15 years, then it's super important to get things right the first time. And I think there seems to be a culture, I don't actually know if this is true, but this is what I've heard from other people in meetups. There seems to be a culture, especially with um, a lot of government organizations, where getting it right the first time isn't that important. They just want you to get a feature implemented or... Um, you know, you end up with this big sort of like mess, this big spaghetti, and nobody really cares that much about testing and stuff like that. They're just, it's very transactional. You know, you hire someone out to write some code and then they move on to another job. And in those cases, honestly, it's really sad because that's when it's very important to get things right the first time. Because people for years and years and years to come are going to be coming back and having to use that code, having to write things on top of that code. So if ever there was a time when getting it right the first time was important, it's with large projects like in government organizations. So hopefully that all makes sense. Try and get it right the first time when it really matters for those important things. Um, but if it's like a startup and you just want to get a proof of concept, if it's something that you're just messing about with in your own time, then it's totally less important and just go off the rails there. Um, that's totally fine. I do it all the time too. And so, hey, I hope you enjoyed this video. Uh, I really love doing this podcast. It's really fun to sort of like um, share some of these thoughts that I've had and things I've learned throughout the years as a programmer. Uh, yeah, and by the way, this is one of my motivations behind QuasarCast. Laracast helped me so much for building, um, and if you don't know what Laracast is, that's like um, a streaming service for Laravel created by Jeffrey Way, who's a phenomenal teacher. And that really helped me to learn how to code properly from the beginning. And the cool thing about his videos is that he would teach you a concept, but then he'll go a little bit deeper later on in the video and show you different ways that you can handle things. And to me, that's very much a way of teaching you to get things right the first time, to learn to think as a coder, to learn to know what's possible so that you can choose the right pattern for your situation, um, which is really another way, once again, of saying get it right the first time. And so, hey, if you're interested in learning some of these patterns, then check out quasarcast.com slash register. I'm super excited for this website. The Quasar Getting Started series is probably released by the time you've listened to this video. And like I said at the start, you will be learning um, Quasar version 2. So you'll get to use Quasar with View 3 uh, in that Getting Started series. So thanks a bazillion for listening, and I will see you in the next episode of the Quasar Life podcast. And remember, there is nothing you can't build.